0: All right, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Uh, Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I'll pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, just the opportunity to worship, to gather together this morning, to um, enjoy coffee, have great conversations, see a lot of the people that we love in the community. At the same time, Father God, we're consistently reminded um, of our need for you, Father. So thank you so much for sending your son, Father, so that we can exist in a community with a freedom, a freedom knowing that you love us, Um Father, and help us just to reflect in this time um, as we, we talk about the story of Jesus this morning and Mary and Joseph. And Father, just kind of gain some perspective and context of all the dynamics that were taking place. And, and Lord, I pray for the application, too, how that can remind us, how that can humble us in our lives. Lord, I pray for um, Brian as he gets up here and shares the word of the Lord this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.
1: I want to, uh, just one quick other announcement, and that is, um, I, uh, I'm a big proponent of reading, and uh, I love books, and so one of the things that um, I, I wanted you to know, no, no, <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs>
1: Lucille always finds a way. <laughs> uh, there are books in the back, want... are 30 of them back there and we'll have more side. Am I on Tony? Hello, there it goes. Hello, hello, I'll go front pocket, no, hello, boy this is so difficult this morning, alright I'm going to try again, there's a book in the back that I really hope everyone can can get a chance to read over Christmas, Um, it's called Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. And again, as I was trying to say earlier, hopefully as your schedule um, backs off a little bit during Christmas time, um, that you can read a little bit. And <clears throat> the book really kind of a, it's just, it, it's supplemental good reading, but let me read one thing about it on the back. And, and one person said this, this is a book that will help you to know what the love of Christ looks like. Right, we, we'll say things like that God loves you or Jesus loves you. Well, what does that actually look like? And then how to extend that love to others, and how to accept it from others as you live in relationship together. And so it's, we talk a lot about doing life together and, and creating a new community. And so this is just a book called Side by Side, kind of giving us more specifics and, and how we can live that out. So um, grab one in the back if you'd like. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning uh, looking at the uh, the birth of Christ and. Um, uh, I, I still really like Christmas a lot, and um, maybe part of it is having children, and, and, but I think it's more than just that. But I, I hope as we, um, we... Most people probably have another uh, full work uh, week coming up, maybe a couple, but then we have some time off at Christmas. And uh, I really hope it can be a time of rest and uh, a time with our family and uh, just a time to enjoy. And um, so this morning... My hope is that our thoughts will be along those lines, and I want to talk this morning about Christmas expectations, Christmas expectations, and how sometimes if we have the wrong expectations, um, it can create frustration, it can create um, tension, it can uh, just create things in our homes, in our lives, in our friendships that, that aren't always what we want, and so Christmas again, is, is about all these really fun things, these things that I'll call secondary, the, the things that we do in our homes that are fun, that um, the Christmas traditions. And But this morning what I want to talk about is, is Christmas and what it is ultimately about. And if we just realign again with our minds and our hearts what it is ultimately about, it helps us with expectations. Um, so if you have your Bible, this this is just a A super interesting story, and uh, we will look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, as Locke read. And so, to help us kind of frame our minds and understand what's going on, number one, we'll look at the need to transform our expectations. Number one, the need to transform our expectations. Number two, the work of transformation, the work of our expectations being transformed, and then we'll try to apply it all together at the end. So number one is the need to transform our expectations. And here's how the story begins. The story begins this way. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And the historical context that was this, that when the, the people during Matthew's time, during the birth of Christ, this time period, when they read this, they had something in their mind that they were directly looking for. And that was, they had a, a messianic expectation. They had a hope that something new was going to come. All right, and we have this a little bit in our country. It's not nearly quite the same, but what often happens in our country is that once a president wins two terms, by the end of a president's second term, most of the time as a nation, we are so ready for like a fresh face, something new, something different. One really kind of classic example of that is Dwight Eisenhower, a famous World War II general. After the war, he's elected president. After his, uh, and, and has some positive things during his first term. His second term is really difficult. And who's electing next? So we have this old guy, old general, military guy. Second term's going bad. And who comes in? The new young guy. What's his name? Kennedy. Kennedy, right? We're tired with this old guy. We need someone new, right? And every time, even now, every, almost always when we have a president that's been elected for two terms, by the end of that eighth year, People are ready for something new. This is what's going on, except for it's it's quite a bit different. Israel, if you recall, is being controlled by Rome. It's been a low point for a very long time, and people are really desperately looking for a Messiah, for someone to come. It's been hard days, hard years, a continual decade after decade of struggle. And so this is the context that Mary and Joseph uh, and the birth of Christ uh, appear. If you have your Bible, I hope you do this morning. One thing you'll notice is that in Matthew chapter 1, there are three sets of 14 generations. Three sets of 14 generations that are going to point us to this man, Joseph. So that's the context. This desire for hope, a desire for change. that They were expecting a Messiah to come and to offer Um, military help political help it's difficult for us to fully understand this but maybe if you've traveled somewhere and you've been uh, uh, in a place where there's been maybe like the United Nations in the country or something like that where people want their freedom people want um, a new way to live and so people were desperately looking for that and then here's the context right next is this when when, The second part of verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. All right? What is this word? This is kind of a funny word, betrothed. And it's very different than today. We've talked about this before. But um, today, dating takes place in a way where you get to know people and you find out if it's a good fit for you or not. Um, If that person makes you happy. That's a really bad way to approach it though, right? This person just makes me happy. Um, Very different in New Testament times, all right? Here's what would happen. You've got the guy, he sees some girl that he thinks attractive, I guess, something like that. You would say, you'd go, hey, Dad, Dad, I like this girl. You would then coordinate some type of gift for the woman's dad. Parents would have some uh, strong say in this, very different than today. And here's how it would work you would then have a betrothal, which was a a legal agreement, where then you'd have about a year before you were officially married. So most likely, most people think Mary was probably, hold on, 14, 15 years old, somewhere in her early teenage years, Joseph probably a little bit older, and they are to be married I learned a new word this week, it's it's different, and and, um, it's a really loud vehicle right there. (laughs) I will tell you, um, about 15 minutes ago, we couldn't find uh, my oldest boy, Chase, and that's him there, so uh, (laughs) it was was one of those things where like, okay, I have to come up here and speak in a few minutes, and um, we're getting a little bit stressed out because we can't find him out in the ocean, but he's... He's here now, so it's all fine. Learning a new word. It's always risky to to let you know if I've learned a new word because you might all know this word and be like, hey, I learned that word in seventh grade. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry if you did then. That's really great. But here's the word. The, The word is troth. Troth. Betrothed means that you pledge a covenant. You pledge your troth. So one year before you're going to get married, you're going to express a troth. I pledge my covenant to you. And that's what's happening. Mary and Joseph are in this like halfway stage before they're going to officially or before they consummate their marriage. So there's a legal arrangement, there's a legal binding covenant relationship. They pledge their troth, their solemn vow to one another. And then here's what happens. The Bible says this, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is more than a bad day for Joseph, right? And the problem with this is we know the whole story. But just try to think for just a moment <clears throat> to put yourself in his position. And it can, we can flip-flop the genders. That's, that's not what's most relevant. What's most relevant is this, is that they are engaged to be married and she's pregnant, all right? We don't wish that upon anybody to deal with that. That is more than, man, I'm having a rough day. I'm having a rough few days. That is, that is being split wide open, right? When you have an expectation for your life that this is what's going to be happening with my life, and then you find out that the one you're going to be engaged to or the one you, that you will soon be married to, is pregnant, or if we want to flip it around, that the wife or the fiance finds out that the former girlfriend of your fiance is now pregnant. That's a game changer. Everything is on hold, and so we have to think about Joseph for a second and how how he deals with this. Here's how we would all deal with this, right? Our minds would be spinning a hundred miles an hour. What do I do now? How do I live my life? And here's how the Bible describes him. It says this, that he, her husband Joseph, referring to him as a husband because they are betrothed, being a just man. Here's what it means. That's just the Bible's way of saying that he is a man that wants to follow God's word. That that's how he wants to live his life. That he is an honorable man. That he wants to live his life according to the truth of God's word. And it's very different. Uh, the other thing we have to remember about Bible times, and, and we, we have, there's big gaps, right? 21st century Malibu is quite different than Bible days culturally. And one of the major differences is that it was a shame culture. And it's very different than how we are today. The shame and, and, and honor that your name actually really meant something. You, you have to think back to at least uh, I enjoy old Westerns. And you'd, you'd see some of this in, uh, in saloons, where somebody questions the name. You question my name, that's when we're going to go out and like, pull our guns and like, fight each other, because you question the honor of my name. It's More like that. So your name was very significant. So how does, how does Joseph deal with this, this, this thing that happens? Even today, that would have a little bit of shame trying to put ourselves into the life of Joseph and understand how powerful shame culture is. <clears throat> I've got one taste of it. And uh, when I was in my 20s, I've mentioned this before, when I was in my early 20s, I, I thought I wanted to move to Hawaii. And, uh, and so I spent some time on Kauai. And I just it's so funny. I, I've, I've played hundreds or thousands of pickup basketball games. But I still have this very distinct memory in Kauai playing basketball. And I'm not exactly sure what I did. But I bumped a guy or something. And he, he took it as an offense. And I'll never forget this. He, he grabs the ball, stops the game, walks right up to me and says, don't ever do that again to me. Because he felt like I'd embarrassed him or shamed him. And there's, there's a little bit of uh, Asian culture or Hawaiian. You don't shame people. He made it, listen, it was a very, as, as a visitor to the North Shore of Kauai, message was delivered. <laughs> like I, I understood exactly what you're saying that you don't come here and embarrass me. Think about how powerful shame is in jo- the position that Joseph is in. He's a, a God honoring man, he wants to live his life the right way. <clears throat> And here's what he does then. He has the option of a public divorce. Think about this option for a moment, a public divorce. What kind of life does Mary have? An unmarried, single woman, pregnant. It's a life of shame. It's a life of humiliation. Or he has the option to uh, divorce her quietly in a way that very few people would know about it. It's much more of a tense, heartbreaking story than we want to make it out to be. The Christmas story reminds us that expectations that our expectations for life don't always go the way we want. And this story, this this life, this sweet life of this young couple, it doesn't go the way that they had hoped. And then here's what it says. Verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And verse 20 says this, but he considered these things. He's lying in his bed at night thinking about his life and this radical change. We can put ourselves there. We've all had moments of our lives of heartbreak where we thought a a relationship was going to go a certain way and it doesn't go that way and how devastating that is. Verse 20 says this, as he considered these things, behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife." It's important just to think for a minute about this man, this this man we call Joseph, and we actually just know very little about him. In fact, the indications point at the end of the gospel is that he most likely died because there's very little mention of him, which is, which is an odd thing. The Bible talks about Mary at the end of the life of Christ, but very little about Joseph. And so we don't know a lot about him. But one thing we do know is that he is an honorable man. Let me ask you this for a second, just for the men here for a moment. Because I came across this uh, this. A a quote this week, it, it kind of froze me, like for the whole week. And here's, it was something along the lines of this. That the measure of a man's honor is determined by the countenance of his wife. The measure of a man's honor is determined by the countenance of his wife. Your countenance is the appearance based on your state of mind. Your facial expression determined by your mood of what's going on in your life. We measure the honor of a man in many different ways, but that's not one way that we think of. The question is this, is how is your wife doing behind the scenes? Is your wife valued? Do you feel? Does she feel honored by you? Does she feel dignified? Does she feel respected? Joseph is a man who is an honorable man, and he's trying to treat Mary in an honorable way. How are we doing with this? Do we even really know how our wives are doing? Because what happens is men can be so busy with things that they think are important while their wives get leftovers. One of the things that, and this, I I think I'm being honest as I just reflect back a little bit on this. But one of the things that early on in my marriage, Karen would say something like, you have to remember, I'm not one of your guy friends. right? And so the, the point is this, is that we are to honor and respect and make sacrifices in our own personal lives so that our wives can flourish and grow. <clears throat> Take Mary as your wife, for she is conceived in her, for, <clears throat> excuse me, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So we know that expectations of Mary and Joseph at this time are completely shattered. Here's what else is happening. Let's just think about this for a second. Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. Life is going on as normal. Something really crazy happens. She is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. A supernatural, let's just be honest, odd thing that's going on here, right? Virgins can't be pregnant At least that's how I understood the word. That's not a new word for me this morning. I've heard of that word before. (laughs) Something odd is going on. Expectations are being radically changed. And we think about this for a second. Living in Nazareth, Mary and Joseph, this radical, weird pregnancy, what's the next radical, weird thing that happens? They have to go on a 100-mile walk to Bethlehem, right? Right? So, number one, Joseph, your life is totally twisted, turning it upside down. Your wife's now pregnant by God. That's <laughs> odd. That's super weird. Now you've got to go for a 100-mile walk to Bethlehem because some crazy guy wants to do a census. And then you get there, and you're there for a little while, like, oh, maybe we can make Bethlehem be our home. Then even another more crazy guy named Herod wants to come and kill a bunch of babies. So let's do another 100-mile walk to Egypt with your little baby, with your young son. I think it reminds us this, is that even during our most darkest times, God wants to speak to us. At this most upside down time in the life of Joseph, God speaks to him. And that's what we have to think about at Christmas time. There can be so many expectations put upon us. There's pressure and there can be frustration. And what we have to remember is this, That what's ultimate, what this is really about, is remembering that God is orchestrating and moving in our lives. Even when life has its most darkest, lonely moments. We have to be able to just put our mind there for a second. Think about how lonely and broken Joseph is when he finds out that his wife is pregnant. And it's at that time that God speaks to him. Let's go on to this. How the work... Of transformation actually happens, and here's what we learn. Verse 21 says, "This she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." This is a really interesting word. Just for one second, it's a very common word. <clears throat> the name goes back to the Old Testament of Joshua. All right, and before that, uh, Moses is actually the guy that changes his name. His original name was Hosea, which means salvation. Moses changes Joshua's name, adds Yahweh, takes the prefix of, from the word Yahweh, adds it to his name, and it becomes Joshua, which means God will save. And today we get the Jesus from a Latinized version of the Greek word. But here's what's important. It's one of the most common names ever. It's as common as Brian or Mike it's not a unique name. It's not a spectacular name. All right, we've got some people here with cool names. Brian, it's not that cool. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty regular, right? We've got Lockwood or Dermot, we've got some like really cool names. I was <laughs> like, mom, just Brian? Like that just that just it's kind of boring. All right? Jesus? Joshua? It's even more boring than that. Than Brian. Everyone, even today. We know Joshua's. It's as common as Frank Smith. All right, here's the point. That God works in the ordinary. The most boring, regular name, the most ordinary people, the most regular routine of life is how God works and does supernatural, powerful things Here's what Matthew says. You will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. All right? It's like Frank. You will call his name Frank. It just doesn't have a lot of power. But here is why it's significant. It's very different during Bible days. Names me- meant something. Names had significance. We just don't, today, there's a lot of pressure to pick a really cool name if you're going to have a baby today. Right? You've got to come up with something cool. It can't be too cool, though, where you're odd. And everything's that's like some weird hippie tribal name. I don't know what you're talking about. But it's gotta be cool too. You can't pick Brian. No one names their kids Brian anymore. All right? So it's a very common, but here's the point of it. The significance is this, is the meaning of it. For he will save people from their sins. It's loaded with meaning. A very common regular name is loaded. With meaning. Because it changes the expectation of why he's coming and who's coming. The Messiah is someone who will come and save people from their sin. And what this means is it's dealing with the core issues of who we are. That Christmas is about dealing with who you are deep inside as a person, in your brokenness. When the tinsel doesn't satisfy, when the frosty, the snowman leaves you empty, and you're looking for something besides Rudolph, it's this, it's Emmanuel, it's God with us. And ultimately, that, that is what Christmas is about that God leaves his perfect place to come to earth to be the one who will save us from ourselves. Here's what he does. There's just three quick observations I'll make. Number one, as I said, the expectation of the ordinary shows up in three ways to do something extraordinary. Number one, save us from our sins. The angel declares to Joseph that that is who this person is, that this supernatural baby is coming. Number two is this. Verse 23 says this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive... Why does this matter? Why would the Bible even mention that? Here's why it matters. It points directly to the deity of Jesus Christ, that this is not an everyday baby, that this is a supernatural baby, that this is the impossible baby. Life becomes very difficult if we put logic and reason above the word of God. The Bible, the foundational understanding of the Bible is that supernatural things happen. Of course, the Bible is logical and true, but it never, it always is submissive to the supernatural work of God. All we have to do is think, if, think about this story. There's so many great stories. Just try walking on water, right? You cannot walk on water. Virgins cannot have babies, there's all of these things, one after the other after the other. You can, if you're dead, you don't get to come back to life. You're dead. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, which is the basis of Christianity, that there is a God that is far superior than our own human understanding. So he's born of a virgin. Number three is this, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. And what's so What's so significant about this, and we lose this a little bit unless we take the Bible as a whole, if you think back about the Old Testament and how God would appear, it's very different. We talked about this a little bit. Burning bushes. Radical, powerful winds and storms that make people step back and say, what? reverent awe. Something so powerful, something so unique, That completely rocks your world. I've never experienced a tornado, but there was one time where it was close when I was living in Iowa for a school year. And I remember sitting at my desk in the middle of the day and the sky turns black. And the winds and the hail. And I remember, and sirens are going off. I grew up in Washington where the only thing we had was a windstorm once in a while and lots of gray drizzle. So I'm standing outside, the sky is just transformed, just getting crazy. Sirens are going off. And that's everyone then says, like, hey, dummy, the sirens means you go inside. Tornadoes are coming. And I remember thinking, there is something way more powerful than me, than my own understanding. It made me step back in a, in a little bit of an understanding of that reverent awe when the sky and the world around you is rocking and out of control all throughout the Old Testament there's examples and stories of how God appeared to people and it just it shook them to the core and now what we have here is Jesus this baby born in a barn and now it's God with us there's something radically different now of how God wants to reveal himself It's now the one who wants to welcome children, that welcomes sinners with open arms. And he completely changes the way we interact with God. Verse 24 says this, and this is the response that Joseph has after the dream. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And let me just show you how this connects to last week. Because last week we talked about something similar. When there's an interaction with God, here's the key word. He did. Joseph did. He lived his life out in faith. It was a life of action. He followed through on what God had set him to do. When God spoke to him, it wasn't like it, it wasn't this. Huh? Oh that's neat. I'm going to go surf now. It, it wasn't that. There was something that completely changed him from the inside, and he obeyed. He lived his life out, even when it doesn't make sense. Right? That could be an an ultimate for one that doesn't make sense. When your fiancé is pregnant with somebody else. But he does. He lives his life out in faith. I hope uh, in the next couple weeks, as we get close to Christmas, is that we would not allow expectations of others or the culture around us to ruin just a beautiful time and hopefully a time of rest, a a time of contemplation, a time to recognize that Christmas is a beautiful time and all these secondary things we have have a place. They're beautiful. They're fun. Whatever traditions we have. But if we allow secondary things to overcome the primary, the ultimate, That God came to earth to love broken people, to love flawed people. Our expectations will change. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would come together as a community, living together in awe that you would leave, that you would leave heaven to come to earth to love us, to give yourself of us. Father, there are so many distractions. There are so many things that can take take our attention away from you. I pray this uh, in these coming days and weeks as we come to celebrate your birth, that we would not allow uh, things to distract us from your presence, that we always won't be looking for the next thing to entertain us, that we will find our joy our contentment in knowing you, being with our family, serving each other and loving each other. Thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.